My sermon today is a continuation of the sermon I gave a couple of weeks ago, which was on Jesus' baptism. That sermon was a little longer than most sermons I preach, and that's because I put so much into it. It was a far-ranging discussion. I talked about World War II in Asia. I talked about ethics and morality. I talked about the de-baptism movement that's going on in Europe. And I went to my wife after the sermon was over, after the service was over, and I said, what did, what did you think of my sermon? She said, honestly, it was a little long. <laughs> so I'm going to take her advice today. I'm going to try to make this sermon a little briefer and a little more direct. In fact, I'm only going to make one point today, one simple point. My sermon is about identity formation. What is your identity? How do you know who you are? I'm going to share this one point with you right now, and then I'm going to return to it over the course of, this, of the, the sermon. Here is the point that I want to make today. Christian identity is received, not achieved. That probably doesn't make any sense to you right now, but my hope is that it will make some sense in a few minutes. This story that we're looking at today happens right after Jesus' baptism, and although they're connected, in some ways they couldn't be more different because the story we looked at two weeks ago is a beautiful, heartwarming story. But the story we look at today is a terrifying and painful story. What happens is this, Jesus is baptized, the heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm proud of. It is just a beautiful, tender scene between a father and a son. And relevant to my message about identity, it's also a story about Jesus' identity because God says, this is my son. That's who this person is. And we also find out what that identity entails because God says, I love this person and I'm proud of this person. And so in just three short phrases, we get the totality of Jesus' identity. He is God's son, he is loved, and he does work that makes his father proud. It's an inspiring story, it's a tender story, but hold on to your seats because this scene is about to change dramatically. This same spirit who descends on Jesus like a peaceful dove immediately casts him <clears throat> into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, the same spirit. And that means that whatever happens in this difficult part of the story is something that God meant to happen as part of his salvation story. Our reading comes from the fourth chapter of Matthew. Let us listen to what the spirit is saying to us and to the church. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, 
and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. But Jesus said to him, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Finally, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship him, if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts on this, your holy word, be acceptable in your sight and life-giving to us and through us as your people. Amen. I had a yoga teacher once who was very kind and was always very considerate about making space for everybody regardless of their ability. So she would make it a point of making sure that, that people knew that whatever they wanted to do in the class was basically okay. So she would say, we're going to do a pose, but if you can't do this pose, you can do this other modified pose. But if that modified pose is too much for you, you can do this simpler pose that I'll show you. But if that pose is too much, then you can just do a child's pose. But if for some reason a child's pose is too much, you can simply lie down on your mat. But if that's not what you want, you can do something else, whatever you want to do that makes you comfortable. And on the one hand, I mean, it was nice because I knew that nothing that I did in her class could ever be judged or conceived of as being wrong. On the other hand, I never really felt challenged to get better at yoga (laughs) because I always had permission to do nothing if I wanted to. And I thought about this this week as I was thinking about this story because I actually think that this is the way that people in our world sometimes think about identity. They say, you can be whatever you want. You can be whoever you want. You can create your own identity. Nobody has the right to tell you who you are. You decide whoever you are. Now, on the one hand, this can seem empowering. Certainly, if, if you have felt confined by the expectations of other people, then this can seem kind of liberating. But there are a few problems with this approach to identity. I mean, number one, are people really equipped to know who they are by themselves? What is this self that you expect to figure out what itself is? Where did that self come from? Where did your ideas about identity come from? Are you really as independent as you think you are? In fact, are you even the best person to judge who you are? Or considering the way we so often blind ourselves to the truth about ourselves, is it possible that other people might see you more clearly than you see yourself? Let me use my own life as an example. I spent a lot of my early life uh, as an atheist, and I definitely believed that my identity was up to me alone. I didn't trust any authority, and I certainly thought that I knew more about myself than anybody else did. And I thought that the way to figure out who I was was to follow my desires. I mean, you've heard people say this, follow your heart, just do what you want to do. And so if I could just figure out what I really wanted to be, then that's what I would be. But over time, I I noticed that my desires kept changing. And so when I was 15, I wanted nothing more than to be a musician. I was convinced that that's what I was going to do with my life. 
Eventually, I got bored with that. And by the time I was 20, I knew that I was going to be a writer. And then I got bored with that. And by the time I was about 25, I was in New York, and I was trying to be a filmmaker, and I knew that that's what my real identity was. And then I got burned out with that. And I was trying to find the next thing to identify with. And in the midst of all of this searching, I realized that I wasn't very happy. And it was a lot of pressure to try to figure out who I was. How am I even qualified to know who I am? I mean, I went into my 20s thinking about the fact that it would be liberating to create my identity, but what I actually found is that it was stifling because I felt like I should know who I am, and yet I didn't. Now, throughout this whole process, there was one identity that literally never entered my mind, and that was to be a minister. Remember, I was an atheist, but then a number of unexpected things happened. People that I trusted started to see abilities in me that I couldn't see in myself. My wife, for example, and you can ask her about this, she saw years before I did that I was going to be called to ministry. When I was adamantly denying that I would ever be a minister, she would say, I think you're gonna be a minister. I was also going through a period of personal grief that led me to go back to church. And so one day at a time, Things outside of myself were moving me in a direction that I internally was not choosing. And here's what I think now about identity. Identity is not achieved, it's received. It's not an an accomplishment, it's a gift. It's given to us by God, it's shown to us by people who can see things that we cannot. Now, this is very counterintuitive in our culture, but if you look at Scripture, it's actually what the Bible consistently says throughout its pages. When God created Adam and Eve, he made them to be in relationship with him. That was their identity. Who were they? They were God's creation. That's who they were. Who was God? God was identified as the creator of these human beings, and these human beings were identified as human because they were created by God. And if you don't believe that, look at the word human. It comes from the Latin hummus, which means soil. That's who they are. God created man from the earth. He took this dirt and he breathed life into him. And therefore, to be human is to understand that without God, you are nothing but dirt. And therefore, any identity you have is because of your creator. The example I often give my kids is that they are characters in a book written by God. And we usually use the book series Harry Potter because they love Harry Potter. So I'll say, how does Harry Potter know who he is? I mean, let's just say Harry Potter has an existential crisis. He starts reading French philosophy. He's full of angst. He's in a panic because he doesn't know who he's supposed to be. Who am I? He yells to the heavens. The answer is that his identity is whatever J.K. Rowling says it is because she created him. He would not exist except for her imagination and her desire. He is 100% a product of her mind. And if Harry Potter tries to go against the desire of his creator, he will never live authentically. 
I mean, maybe he tries that. Maybe Harry Potter decides he's not actually a wizard. He's tired of fighting Voldemort. He's tired of putting his life on the line for other people. So he just runs away from that identity. He turns his back on the story written by his creator. He could do that. But would that be living authentically? I mean, people talk a lot about authenticity today. They say they want to be their authentic selves. The question that these stories pose is this. Is there an authentic self apart from God? Could Harry Potter have an authentic identity apart from J.K. Rowling? Can you have an authentic identity apart from the mind that created you? Well, one person says that you can. That's the devil. In fact, the devil's agenda when he meets Eve in that story that David read is precisely to convince her that she doesn't need God. And he goes right for this question of identity because what he tells Eve is that she can be her own person. God told you not to eat the fruit. He's just trying to keep you down because he doesn't want you to be like him. But you can be like God. You don't have to be hummus. You don't have to be dirt. You can be divine, which is so revealing, isn't it? Because when we try to create our own identities, what we really are doing is trying to play God. We're telling the lie that we're not hummus, that we don't have a creator. But no matter how much we try, we can't escape that fundamental truth. Truth, we are not gods. We didn't make ourselves We are soil that God has breathed his life into, and therefore we owe everything to him. Adam and Eve failed the test. We all failed the test. This is what sin is, but Jesus didn't. And it's to his story that I want to now turn. And what you'll see is that the devil is nothing if not predictable because what he does to Jesus is precisely the same thing that he tries to do to Eve. He makes Jesus question his identity. What the devil does again and again is to say to Jesus, if you are God's son. And that brings us back to the reading from two weeks ago because that's what God says when he baptizes Jesus. This is my son. And the devil must have been listening. He heard that message that that's Jesus' identity. He is God's son. And so he uses that to try to undercut his closeness to God. He starts by praying on the fact that Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. It's impossible to overstate how weak he must be. His body is screaming for nourishment. The devil comes along and says, Jesus, you are God's son, right? If you are God's son, then you can do anything. Turn these stones into bread. Feed yourself. Aren't you hungry? Now, curiously, Jesus refuses He says, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil tries again. Maybe Jesus just doesn't understand how powerful he is, and so I'll tempt him with power. He takes him up to the top of the temple, and he says, if you throw yourself off this high place, God's angels will catch you in midair, and they'll care for you. Wouldn't that relieve your pain, Jesus? Wouldn't that make you feel powerful? But Jesus says, no. For it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, at this point, we have to think that the devil is getting frustrated. It didn't take this long with Eve. So he decides he'll try a third time. 
He takes Jesus to a high mountain. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world, every palace, every slave, every treasury, every army, every concubine. Jesus, you can have it all if you worship me. Now remember, this is a poor carpenter from Nazareth. What poor carpenter could refuse an offer like that? But again, Jesus says no. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And finally, the devil disappears. He's lost the battle, but of course the war goes on. Now what's happening? What's happening is that the devil is trying to make Jesus find his identity apart from God. Do you see that? Jesus, you can feed yourself. You can take power yourself. You can live a life apart from God. You can satisfy your desires alone. And yet time and time again, Jesus says, to be God's son is to honor him. To be who I am, to have the identity that I have, is to be in relationship with God and therefore not to disobey him. Is this making sense? Jesus does what we cannot do in order to show us what authentic identity actually looks like. It's simply living in the truth that you were created by God. It's the only identity you have. I mean, you can wish it weren't true, but I think you have to admit that you didn't make yourself. And so this is the only identity you have. You can wish that there were some other God that created you. You can wish that you were a God who made yourself. You can wish that there is no God and the universe came into being by itself. You can wish all of these things. And you can base an entire life on the illusion of those things being true if you want. But that won't be an authentic life. If you want to live in the truth, then the only identity you can have is as God's creation. Now, the wonderful news about this is that when you, when you ground your identity in Jesus, <clears throat> you find freedom for the first time in your life. It's one of the ironies of our time that people think that if they create themselves, they will be free from any constraint and they'll be so happy. But what they inevitably discover is that trying to create yourself is exhausting. <laughs> Let's say your identity is of being uh, successful in the business world. When business is good, you might actually have a stable identity. But the moment your business world suffers, you no longer know who you are. And then you have to work feverishly to get your business back on track, not just to be financially secure, but because if, if your business is not going well, who are you? There was a famous singer who was quoted in a magazine as saying this. She said, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. I push past one spell of it and I discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have been, I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and I guess it never will. Doesn't that sound exhausting? I mean, people believe that defining themselves leads to freedom, but this is not freedom. This is captivity. 
This singer says that she is responsible for proving that she is special. And her identity is based on achievement. If her records sell, she's somebody. But if they don't sell, she's nobody. Now ask yourself this, can you sell records forever? Can you always be culturally relevant? Will your business always succeed? I mean, at some point, your achievements are going to stop. So who are you then? And that is why stable identity has to be received from the outside. Intuitively, I think people know this. I mean, they they will say, you just shouldn't care what anybody says about you. It doesn't matter what people think about you. But if they are honest, they will admit that they obsess over how people relate to them on social media, won't they? It's actually quite natural to need affirmation from outside ourselves. This is how children learn who they are. It's how we continue to, to learn who we are as we are adults. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is in trying to get that affirmation from a human being. Because a human being did not create you, and therefore no human being really knows who you are in the way that God does. And of course, no human being is always going to be loving and fair and reliable in their perspective. And therefore, the only way to know who you are is to turn to God. And in Jesus Christ, you have an advocate who sees past your sins to the real person underneath them. You have a God who created you, and most importantly, who went to the cross for you. There is no one who is more loving and more wise and who has the ability to tell you who you really are other than God. And that identity is received It's not achieved. When you live into this received identity, you can experience freedom for the first time. Freedom from the pain of not knowing who you are. Freedom from the exhausting work of proving to the world who you think you are. Freedom from the pressure to succeed in order to prove to other people that you are significant. Freedom means being in relationship with your creator. And so every day that you wake up, say to God, I know who I am because you made me. That's who I am. Show me what to do today to honor, to be true to this identity. Help me today so that every decision I make will reflect the truth of who I am at the deepest level, a redeemed sinner, loved and forgiven beyond my wildest dreams, called to the adventure that is faith. Let's end in prayer. God, we thank you not only for creating us, but for redeeming us and for sending your spirit to pray for us and to guide us. As we walk through the darkest valleys, we shall fear no evil, for you are with us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.